Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. In this episode, we discuss Back to the Future. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to our show. Anthony here. And James here. We're sticking to the 1980s this week because we just did Top Gun last week. We got week. 80s fever. But we have not. We have Back to the Future right now for this episode, which came out in 1985, directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. And this is an all-time classic. In Rotten Tomatoes, it is a 96% score critically, 94% audience score, and that's with over 250,000 ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. IMDb, this classic classic is an 8.6 with 1.2 million user ratings and it's number 30 on IMDb's user ratings list of all-time movies. Wow, you could you could tell this is a movie that so many like Hollywood films borrowed from over the last 40 years. There's Not so even just, yeah, yeah. there's so many archetypes, so many scenes, so many kinds of jokes and so many plot points especially that have been borrowed because this movie it's not just an excellent time. It's not just entertaining, extremely funny, and so much fun adventure-wise, but it's a really great script. It's really well-written. Zemeckis and Gale did an amazing job tying everything together. It's a complex, complicated idea, time travel, grandfather paradox, all that jazz, but they managed to make it super easy for even a kid to understand, and there's this, this script is full of setups and payoffs. And so many things are established in the first act that they do an excellent job of paying off by the third act. And this movie is just flat out an awesome experience. For those of you who haven't seen it, we definitely recommend you check it out. And for those fans of it, we know why you're fans. Yeah, if you've never written a script or you're in a screenwriting class, you should watch Back to the Future if you haven't seen it in a while. Just to refresh your memory on what a great storytelling structure is like because this movie has everything you need. Like Anthony said, it's fun, lots of adventure, action, but it just never lets you go and you never lose your interest in the film. And the structure is really great. The first act, the intrigue of who Marty McFly is, who Doc is, the mystery behind, the behind everybody. And then the great uh, just character descriptions and the way we learn of who Marty McFly is, who we, how we learn who Doc is. Just like not forced exposition, but fun in a fun way. Just and the like, family. Yeah, and then also... The third act of this movie is absolutely bonkers. It just grabs you. It doesn't let you go. And there's so many different conflicts that have to get resolved. And just like the concept of like there's one great conflict, but inside of it there's like all these little mini conflicts that Doc has to do when he's on top of the tower. The wire breaks. He's trying to put the wires together with the clock and everything. The Marty, the car doesn't start. He has to try to get the start, car started going again. So so many little things inside the large conflict that keep it so suspenseful for a long period of time. It's a movie. It's a script that, that – third act where you notice it happen a lot with smart movies and smart writers pixar borrows heavily from this concept that you just mentioned and a lot of great filmmakers do as well in terms of say there's a big conflict at the end of a film during the climax and some crazy thing has to happen that the protagonist has to do but as they're trying to do this crazy thing that's already hard enough and as impossible as, as ever then things go wrong to make it even more challenging for the protagonist or protagonists and so this is a movie that really perfectly demonstrates how that third act you can keep the tension going and keep the conflict rising if con if things continue to go already for this plan the plan 
like a third act starts with like generally the protagonist has a plan, but then things go wrong. That plan goes to shit, and they have to figure out a way around that plan and come up with a new way of achieving their goal or stopping some kind of villain. And so this movie is a perfect example of that third act structure that a lot of movies that we love nowadays heavily borrowed from because it just works for storytelling. And this is classical storytelling all the way back to the poetics thousands of years ago. It's like the bare bones of telling a good story. Yeah, it's not the first to, to do this yeah. now. Obviously, it's a great example. The Indiana Jones franchise yeah. is all, it has the same kind of structure not the as first, well. Not the first one. But that's, yeah, not the he first one. He gets captured in yeah. the third act. But that's why this whole film, it feels just like a Spielberg experience. That's why it's so fun because Steven Spielberg produced this and it's even presented by Steven Spielberg, the opening credits. So we love Back to the Future. You mean the great Greatest movie producer of all time? Yeah, the greatest movie <laughs> producer of all time, arguably. You know, easily. Producer, No yeah. questions. The guy has made some of the greatest films of all time. Just from a producer standpoint, on a budget of just $19 million, this film grossed $383 million worldwide at the global box office. And also, Back to the Future was originally released 36 years ago on July 3rd, 1985, meaning now we're further removed from it than 1985 oh, was man. from 1955. Wow. So let me say that again. We're further removed from Back to the Future than 1985 was from 1955, which is the main two storylines in the film. Wow. Time flies, man. It does. <laughs> we weren't even alive when it came out, though, but still, that's pretty shocking. And Robert Zemeckis, he's one of my favorite American directors. I think he's extremely underrated. Everyone knows him from – he did Forrest Gump, and he's done a bunch of those CGI animation films. He really helped pave the way for animation. He made, like, Beowulf. He made The Polar Express, a couple others like that, strictly CGI movies for both adults and kids. And he really helped pioneer animation in a big way. He's always been incredible with visual effects, and these are the early days of it. That final shot of this movie, it's its visual effects, and it looks amazing. When audiences saw that final act when Doc shows up with the DeLorean, and you think it's just going to drive down the street, but it just lifts off and flies and then comes right to the camera, into the audience. When audiences saw that, that was mind-blowing. Even after seeing something like Star Wars, this was still unbelievable. So Zemeckis has always had a great talent for visual effects. And Forrest Gump is a great example of inserting Tom Hanks into the footage from history. It doesn't look perfect nowadays, but when it came out at the time, it looked incredible to audiences. So Zemeckis has always had a real great talent for combining great storytelling and directing with heavy uses of visual effects. Another great example is Flight with Denzel Washington. That plane crash sequence is unbelievable. And then Castaway with Tom Hanks Castaway as well. Castaway is incredible. Tom, that crash, one of the best crashes yeah, I've ever seen in film. It's Maybe of, the yeah, best. It's one of the best action sequences of all time ever filmed. That entire 10-minute sequence of the plane crashing and Castaway. That's Zemeckis. And he's a real genius of blending CGI visual effects and animation with live action. And this is just the earliest example of that. Now, before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast, besides using our coupon codes, is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost Podcast. Get awesome perks like personalized videos, Patreon shoutouts on the show, weekly bonus episodes that all patrons have access to, as well as our $10, $25, and $100 tier patrons have access to our Discord, which is so fun. $25 tier Godfather patrons and our $100 tier chosen patrons get their own custom episodes that they get to pick the topic of for them specifically, as well as our chosen ones become executive producers of the show as well as awesome perks in addition to that we also launched our podcast masterclass 
online course last year. So for anyone who wants to start a podcast or improve their current podcast, our 22-chapter 46-video lesson course will give you all the secrets behind the scenes of our show. The link is podcastmasterclass.teachable.com or just go to our website, raidersofthelostpodcast.com. It's right there on the homepage. Thanks so much for tuning in around the world. Be sure to follow, subscribe wherever you're listening. Hit the notification bells. Leave those five-star reviews. Now let's get back into the Back to the Future. And just to stay on visual effects for a little bit, there's actually fewer visual shots, visual effects shots in this movie than you think. There's about 25 or 30 mm-hmm. of them, but they're all really effective and done super well. But also they were just limited with their budget of what they could do. But I think Zemeckis took advantage of like, we only have these few spots that we needed. And ironically, for being such a great sci-fi film, you think it would need more, but it just pulls it off with the few it does. What makes the movie work is the characters, not the effects. Yeah. The effects are fun, and, and they add so much pizzazz to it, but it's really the story and, and the actors that really pull this movie off, Michael J. Fox especially. And then I think that Christopher Lloyd as Doc steals every moment of this movie. I think so many other actors, it could have been played where it just wasn't that entertaining or fun. He reminds me so much. I, Kramer from Seinfeld is yeah, someone kinda. who, like, it's, it seems like that's, that actor, I can't remember his name, maybe borrowed from Christopher Lloyd, the way he just bursts into rooms and his like manic, wide-eyed, glazed looks and high energy. Christopher Lloyd really does so much in the film uh, to entertain the audience, whereas Michael J. Fox added that incredible relatability, that every guy quality. Also, he has the charisma, he has the charm, and he also is very cool and likable. And so the t- these two leads especially really pull the movie together. Now for awards, Back to the Future won Best Effects and Sound Effects Editing. It also was nominated for Best Screenplay for Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, Best Sound, and Best Music Original Song for The Power of Love by Huey Lewis, Chris Hayes, and Johnny Calla. Do you like Huey Lewis in the news? (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised it didn't get nominated for makeup and prosthetics. I think they did a really good job with this film because, as we know, the the plot of the film is Marty McFly, a 17-year-old high school student, is accidentally sent 30 years into the past in a time-traveling DeLorean invented by his close friend, the eccentric scientist Doc Brown. And he has to actually make sure that his parents meet and fall in love or else he'll never be born into existence so that's one of the great plots side plots of this film it's just so fun but the makeup and prosthetics are actually pretty solid for 1985 because i like how they had the young actors just put on old makeup and act Mm. old and it looks really good it works really well for the film it's really funny and campy but in a good way it's kind of like the evil dead like that so i really enjoyed that i'm surprised they didn't get nominated i think i thought they did a good job yeah they did an excellent job and because then they also have to change them to a different type of old in the end of the film when he yeah. fixes the timeline but improves his life, you could say. Mm-hmm. I also think that, you know, this is a kind of successful movie that doesn't really happen anymore in terms of – so this movie, when it came out, it was July, you said? July 4th? July 3rd, 3rd, I think. This movie was number one at the box office for three straight months. And these are, damn, three straight months. That doesn't hap- That hasn't happened for decades. And 1985 was a big year for movies. There's a yeah. lot of big movies that came so out. So to put that into perspective, that would be like, so if Doctor Strange came out, which came out a few weeks ago, that would be, Doctor Strange would be number one at the box office, even though Top Gun's coming out, even though Thor's coming out, even though a bunch of other uh, huge movies are coming out over the next three months, if Doctor Strange stayed at number one. That's how impressive that feat is, to be number one, not just in the top ten, not just in the top five, bouncing around, one for three months straight. That's insane. It's unbelievable how successful and how beloved the movie was when it came out. Because other big movies that came out that year, I mean, Friday the 13th, Fright Night, Police Story was huge as well, Commando came out, 
freaking Pee-wee came out. Uh, Day of the Dead came out. Rambo. First Blood Part 2 came out. Oh Mad God, Max. What a year. The Goonies Breakfast Club. Wow. So th- this that's is all absurd. the summer. This wow. is all 1985. Wow. So that's that's incredible that that stayed number one against all these. Footloose came out. So that's pretty shocking that it was still number one. Remo. So th- that's awesome. So that's how great of a movie it was and how how everyone loved it. I'm sure it got a ton of rewatches by people in theaters. Yeah, because what happened was back then, yes, Jaws and other movies like Star Wars, they had big opening weekends, but movies didn't have the $200 million opening weekend, even adjusted for inflation, mm-hmm. if you reduce it for inflation back then. So these movies made these huge box offices from just playing in theaters for a long time and people going to see, hey, let's see Back to the Future again. And it became just like, a word of mouth sensation and it just stayed in theaters for a long time now movies are out of theaters in a month and they're on streaming within a week after that and so but movies back then they would stay in theaters for so long and then it could be a different season of the year and you could still go see that same movie yeah it's interesting it's almost like a book release but like mm-hmm. no way home was in theaters it probably still is in theaters around somewhere probably, yeah, because it's, it's definitely because that still pulls yeah. in a couple million every week mm-hmm. and now the idea for back to the future came from inspiration from Bob Gale discovering his father's high school yearbook and wondering whether he would have been friends with his father as a teenager. Gale also said that he had the ch- if he had the chance to go back in time, he would really go back and see if they would have been friends. So that's the main motivation where he got the the, the intimacy stuff with his mother that maybe this is the Freudian aspect of that. Maybe that's what he really wants to do. Yeah, the, well, I mean, that's the Freud <laughs> yeah. stuff. You know, it's pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> it's pretty silly. But what I also love about this film is the rights to it to Back to the Future and its sequels are owned by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. And in a 2015 interview, Robert Zemeckis maintained that no reboot or remake of the fi- of the film will be authorized during his or Gale's lifetime. So, which is amazing. So, we're not going to get like a Back to the Future Origins, Doc Origins, Marty McFly <laughs> legacy characters Origins. But I like how he didn't say that they wouldn't do wouldn't not do a sequel, which is pretty interesting. So that that door I think is always going to remain open so long as you know all the. People all like the main actors are still alive and with us. You know, once they die, Universal is going to be like, "Oh, that's what I mean." Well, yeah. how about that TV show, guys? Yeah, because <laughs> you know they probably get called every month to see if they want to do a reboot or yeah. a, a soft. Prequel. Hey, Bob, you, you changed your mind yet, Bob? Yeah, yeah, we have a great idea for it's a it's an origin story for for Marty McFly and how he learned guitar <laughs> and everything like that. So, I mean. It's, it would be silly. I, I, How did I res- Doc's family get the money? <laughs> I, I, I respect the hell out of it because to have that property where you could make even more – like a lot of people would be enticed to make so much money off of it. Oh, yeah. And you wonder why George Lucas sold his rights to Star Wars. Was it for money or what? Because I'm sure he's not super happy with the direction they took with the, the new trilogy he's and really everything. Not, yeah. But like I respect the filmmakers for maintaining the control over the property because it is very successful. Like this film, when it came out in the 1980s, this and Star Wars over the last 40 years are two of the most successful franchises when it comes to just re-releases but also merchandise is through the roof for this film. You'd be you'd be surprised how much money it's made. And also like Michael J. Fox, he I mean, he was on top of the world and unfortunately we all know he had he and he ended up with a 
a physical condition that prevented him from being an actor anymore. And well, he still acts. He still acts, but he's he can't he can't perform for many hours during the day um, because what happens? I can't remember what it's called, but it affects his he has Parkinson's Parkinson's, and if it affects his motor function, he got diagnosed with it at age twenty nine. Yeah, so it's really tragic what happened to him because he he could have been one of the biggest actors of all time. I think he did have that um, the TV show. Remember, mm-hmm. um, I can't remember what it's called. We, our mom loved it. Yeah, he's guest spotted yeah, and, and stuff he guest like spots, but he. He can't he can't like make a movie for 14 hours a day yes he can't physically do that which is a shame because he was so talented he's so charming so much fun on camera and he really sells sells the movie ironically what's really crazy about this movie and i can't believe it but it's true but marty mcfly was already cast and they filmed for six weeks with an actor named eric stoltz who's you've seen him in a few things but he's never become a household name he's the drug dealer in pulp fiction yeah he's uh lance and so he, so Eric Stoltz played Marty McFly for six weeks, and they filmed a ton of stuff. They they filmed all the diner scenes. They filmed a lot of the early sequences with Doc and Marty, like the the DeLorean scene when he goes back in time, uh, when he first wakes up in in Lorraine's bed. When uh, he, they're almost done shooting with yeah, him, yeah, they were like done with so much of Marty McFly's principal photography. But uh, Gail and Zemeckis were like, it's not working, and they didn't feel like Eric Stoltz was capturing the personality and charm that they wrote for Marty McFly. And so they did that they did something that's pretty unheard of for any kind of movies. They recast the lead role even though they were almost done with principal photography with them. And so they fired Eric Stoltz. And I also read a lot of background saying that Eric Stoltz was actually difficult to work with. Method acting. Method, he was method acting as Marty McFly. Uh, and also he was like hitting on the actress who plays Lorraine off camera. And so he was, apparently he was just... A trouble to work with. And him and the actor who plays Biff aren't getting along at all, at yeah, all either. exactly. And so Zemeckis fired him, and then they cast um, Michael J. Fox. Now, Michael J. Fox was the original choice for Marty McFly, but he was contractually obligated to continue working on his TV show. He was on a popular skit- sitcom at the time. Family Tides. Family Tides. And, and even though he wasn't the lead of that show, he had to become the lead because one of the other leads of that show, she was the actress was pregnant, and so she couldn't film as much as she usually did. So they needed Michael J. Fox to really bit, take over the bulk of starring in that movie, in that TV show, for a couple more months. And so he wasn't able to do Back to the Future at first. But by the time Zemeckis fired Eric Stoltz, that show was pretty much wrapped with filming, so that freed Michael J. Fox up to film the movie, but he was still doing the TV show at the same time. So what, what Michael J. Fox would do was he would film the TV show during the day, morning and daytime. Then he would go to the lot for Back to the Future and film the Back to the Future scenes from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Then he'd go to bed and do the same thing every day. He did that for a couple of months. That's how he filmed this movie while filming a TV show at the same time. And even though he was probably exhausted and overworked, he is so much, he does so much. He has so much energy on screen. He makes the audience fall in love with him. And also, they changed the wardrobe. So Marty McFly's old wardrobe, he was wearing all black, and he had this black like tr- coat on that with the po- with the collar flipped up, and it seemed like it was the. Remember um, Eleven when she it looks just, just like, like Eleven's Eleven. superhero yeah. outfit in season two, exactly like that. When she comes back from was it Chicago or something? yeah, something like that, and. That's what Marty McFly's original outfit was. And there's a ton of – I'm going to throw them up on the episode for you to see if you're watching on YouTube. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes photos of Eric Stoltz in costume in these scenes. And 
the the wardrobe doesn't feel right for Marty McFly either, and especially in all the night scenes, the black he's got black jeans, black boots, and the black coat. He kind of blends in with the background during the night scenes, so it's he doesn't even like pop on screen. And so I think another thing they changed were looking at the dailies. They were probably like this clothing doesn't work, especially with all these night scenes. And I guarantee that's why they went with the blue jeans and the red coat, the the red vest. Yes. Which ended up becoming an iconic wardrobe, a great joke in the film. There's like five jokes about yeah, it in the movie. Yeah, it's so funny. Hey, kid, you just get off ship? <laughs> yeah, but but what really helps is it pops in the dark night scenes, especially because they're at the at the mall parking lot. There's so much black pavement around, and then the night sky. Marty McFly pops with the blue and red, so I think that they were they smartly were like, we need to change not just the actor but the look of the character as well. And the transition also couldn't immediately take place. They had to actually continue filming with Stoltz after they had made the decision that they were going to recast him. So they did like another week of filming with Stoltz and Stoltz ended up getting this full salary for the entire film. He also has credit. Yeah, so... He's on the IMDb list. Yeah, so I mean, he filmed the entire movie basically and, and I'm sure it was... Such a heartbreaking experience for Stoltz, and Zemeckis said it was the hardest meeting he's ever had when he had to basically let Stoltz know that, like, hey, we are going to have to reshoot this whole movie and replace you. It's just not working. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. It's just a really unfortunate situation. I know that he he wasn't their ideal casting. The studio really wanted Eric Stoltz from from I think his work like on a the, Rising Star. Yeah, and the, yeah. he was really great in The Mask, and they thought he'd work, but it just it just seemed to probably not work for Marty McFly. And, and they really needed a great comedic performance out of it because Marty McFly is super charming and personable, and he's very funny. So maybe I'm we're guessing that Stoltz just probably wasn't a coming across as what they wanted. Yeah. And obviously, it was probably the right decision because it's one of the most iconic movies of all time. It's top hundred movie. 100 greatest movie ever made in American cinema for sure. It defined American cinema for decades. And Michael J. Fox is a big reason for that too. And I can you can tell, I think Eric Stoltz might have been going way too dramatic with it. Whereas, whereas Michael J. Fox, he gets dramatic, but also he seems like a kid. I when we we watched this the other day to prep, and I was I was watching him. I'm like he reminds me of Tom Holland. Yeah, he's 24, but he looks super yeah, young. And he but he has that persona he feels like he's a high schooler just like tom holland even Youthful, though he's 21 energetic. when he's making spider-man he feels like he's just a 16 year old and i think that eric stoltz probably seemed too adult for the movie and according to bob gale johnny depp auditioned for the role of marty mcfly as well <laughs> and gale said i looked through the notes and i said geez i don't even remember that we read johnny depp so whatever he did it wasn't all that memorable i guess so it just goes to show you no matter how great of an actor somebody is we're not saying eric stoltz isn't a good actor it's just that some people don't fit specific characters and that's just the way it is yeah, like, I mean, he's hilarious as Jack Sparrow, but I couldn't see... Mario McFly? Not really. Not quite. Maybe yeah. not yet But, I mean, time. imagine... It's not like Johnny Depp got his first movie role. He must have auditioned for so many things when he was young. Yeah. You know what I mean? Also, Back to the Future, I think, is just an absolutely brilliant film title. It's so genius and intriguing and interesting and, and so marketable as well. It's just such a fun sentence that doesn't make any sense unless you see the movie. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because you're going to the past, so you have to go back to the future. So it's really interesting. And um, at the time... Universal Pictures head Sid Sheinberg did not like the title Back to the Future, insisting that nobody would see a movie with future in the title. In a memo to Robert Zemeckis, he said that the title should be changed to Spaceman from Pluto, tying in with the Marty as alien jokes in the film, and also suggested further changes like replacing I'm Darth Vader from Planet Vulcan, like with line with a I am a spaceman from Pluto. Scheinberg was persuaded to change his mind by a response memo from Steven Spielberg, who got this movie made basically, which thanked him for sending a wonderful joke memo. 
and that everyone got a kick out of it. Scheinberg was too proud to admit he was serious, gave, gave it in to letting the film retain its title. What a bonehead. I mean, some people, like, it, I'm sure he had made some great films and had great decisions in his career and that made movies better. But some, I think sometimes people just, like, you got to let the creators and the artists, like, figure out these things on their own. But, all, like, bosses like that, like, they can be so, like, self-serving. For example, it's not just that change he made, but he also, he forced them to change the mother's name to Lorraine because his wife's name was Lorraine. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, I think studio execs back in the, like, back in the day, I'm sure they're much better now, but the heads back in the day must have been just, like, so... Kind of a gob complex. Yeah, like, I need to be... This needs. I'm just putting this in there for me. They probably had a very successful yeah. career, and like that's how they got to that spot is making great decisions for movies that worked out, like f- trusting their gut or something like that. But then they're at the point where like, no, but like, trust me, this is gonna work. Uh, Spaceman I, from Pluto, like, what are you talking? about? I read about? the memo. I found it online. You, you, there's a photo of it, and it's it's ridiculous. The guy seems like it was like the obvious choice, and he, he the way he worded the writing was like everyone's gonna love it. Like I think <laughs> I think I think everyone's gonna really prefer this. It's so funny. And Marty McFly is. so such a memorable character in film history. Michael J. Fox, this is his career-defining role. And like we talked about earlier, because of his Parkinson's disease, he was not really able to continue the full-time career that he could have had for sure. But like I said, he has great guest spots on shows yeah. and was, it still works. Like his guest rock on Curb yeah. Your Enthusiasm, Enthusiasm, there's yeah. a great episode and great bit where uh, him and Larry have interactions where Larry goes over his house and Michael J. Fox gives him a soda and Larry opens it and it sprays everywhere like someone was shaking it. So <laughs> Larry, Larry's like trying to figure out if Michael J. Fox was shaking it on purpose before he got there or because it's the Parkinson's. And it's a great back and forth that it comes into play in like the same episode three times it's just a genius joke that they probably came up with together and oh it's so God. damn funny it's but so funny. that's just michael j fox being such a great actor and having yeah. so much fun yeah and michael j fox also said that marty being characterized as riding skateboards chasing girls and his interest in playing music in the hopes of becoming a rock star was the exact same way he was during his high school days and also i didn't realize michael j fox he's five foot four so he's quite short, and Christopher Lloyd is six one, and I always thought that Doc being like hunched over was just part of the performance. But apparently, Christopher Lloyd he kind of had to do that so that they could both fit in the frame, so he didn't seem like he was too much taller than um, than McFly. And so that's why Christopher Lloyd is often just like he has that hunched over, like goofy posture for that height difference. It's almost a foot difference in height between the two yeah, of them. Yeah, and a lot of the wide shots, Marty's a little closer to the camera mm-hmm. than Mark. You wouldn't really notice it, but it's to make it seem like they're more close in height for sure. This Back to the Future episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Zavi.com, the home of pop culture. That's Z-A-V-V-I. Dot com. Use our coupon code Raiders to get up to 20% off all sorts of merch, memorabilia, and clothing. Our set is decked out for this episode with all sorts of Back to the Future merch. I'm wearing a 1.21 gigawatt shirt, gigawatt according to Doc, a Back to the Future hat, a Back to the Future light on my desk, and an out-of-time license plate. And I got this awesome DeLorean t-shirt, and we got Back to the Future Monopoly, which is awesome. The pieces you get to play with are pieces from the movie. And the board game is all sorts of parts from the town. It's a lot of fun. And also, Zavi has brand new clothing collections from amazing movies and TV shows. 
including the Godfather for the 50th anniversary, Star Wars for their 45th anniversary, as well as a brand new Doctor Strange clothing line, and an Obi-Wan Kenobi clothing line is coming out very soon on Zavi.com. Zavi also just released the May edition of their Lowdown magazine. This is a free digital monthly magazine about all things pop culture, available now. We'll be in the June edition, so stay tuned for that. They feature all sorts of articles and features on TV shows, gaming, exclusive interviews about the biggest titles and features, and take a deeper look into beloved classics. May's edition features behind-the-scenes work on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, upcoming Star Wars show Obi-Wan Kenobi, Pixar's Lightyear, horror movie Dashcan, and so much more. If you want to get some movie, TV, or pop culture merch, memorabilia, clothing, all you got to do is head to Zavi.com. That's Z-A-V-V-I.com. Use our coupon code Raiders to get all sorts of discounts today. And also, a persistent myth is that Michael J. Fox had to learn to skateboard for this film. In fact, he was a reasonably skilled skateboarder. Having You can tell he's doing most of it, yeah. especially behind the, the cars. There's deal. like two shots where he's not behind Just the cars. Just grabbing the cars yeah, and stuff like that. But he like does that. a lot of the car ones. So having ridden them throughout high school... Um, but, however, Per Wellander acted as a skateboarding double for complex scenes. He also choreographed and coordinated the skateboarding action together with Robert Schmeiser. You know, you know what's funny about this movie? This is like it's an origin story for so many things. Skateboard, origins. origins. <laughs> Rock and roll, origins. <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, I, I just love Martin McFly. He's so fun. And what I love about this movie, tell us, and we talk about it all the time, He's just Marty McFly. It's not an origin story yeah. for Marty McFly. And the reveal, Where did he get the, the vest? The reveal is just genius. It's just like Raiders of the Lost Ark. And you mm-hmm. know Zemeckis and Bob Gale, they, they worked with Spielberg before this. And Spielberg was basically a mentor to the two of them, especially Zemeckis. You know, And he, this film is obviously heavily – like the, the opening is – Definitely referenced, or they're definitely taking from Raiders of the Lost Ark. The great yeah. reveal where the character's coming into the scene, but you're just seeing glimpses of like his feet or his voice or something. You don't see him until a great reveal, which is when he stands in front of the subwoofer, hits the guitar, turns it on, and then just flies backwards. And you can tell when you watch just the opening of this film and the character reveal of Marty McFly that they got so much from Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they're probably paying homage to how Spielberg does his stuff. And the reveal of Indy and the reveal of Marty McFly, there's so similar we just have the main character the protagonist he's coming into the scene but we're more focused on what's happening in the scene we see just his feet we see little we hear his voice just little pieces of information here and there and it's not until he stands in front of the giant subwoofer with his guitar hits the riff goes flying backwards isn't all the debris of everything he broke and lowers his sunglasses that were like oh this is Marty mcfly you finally get to see him and they both use an instrument that f- defines the character for marty it's the guitar using and hitting the strings and for indy it's whipping is using his whip. Yeah, so they're the, both using instruments that are a part of their character. So many similarities between the Indiana Jones franchise and this film. It, and that's why they're so fun. They're the same tone. And obviously, that's probably why Eric Stoltz was recast. They probably were trying to get the tone from the Raiders movies, but didn't have it with him. I also I think that this movie, I think Back to the Future is the, the best example of product placement in movie history. It's up there. Now, a lot of people, there are people that have problems with product placement in movies. It is, a, it is what it is. But I remember there are plenty of movies like Man of Steel got a lot of flack for its product placement for like having U-Hauls and there's a Denny's they fight in um, and there's like a Home Depot. 
And I remember reading so much stuff online about people complaining about the the forced product placement in, in other movies as well. well. I mean, it's a Zack Snyder movie, so yeah. people are going to get upset about something. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, true. But the thing is, product placement, it's not just like a cash grab for, for the people making the movie. Yes, they get paid by the company to put it in. It's just like us with our product placement. We have product placement right now, right here and there, all over the place. It's, it is what it is. But product placement, I feel like... It makes sets look more realistic because if you look at movie sets, if there's no product placement, it's just it's generally either they're covering things like covering storefronts when they go to a location or they're building a set and they're not putting like actual company logos or familiar things that we would see in a normal town square. And then it kind of it, it kind of takes the illusion away. It makes it feel like it's um you're kind of on a set. But when you have when you see logos, when you see like brands that you recognize that makes it feel like oh this is a town square and the example of this movie is they shot it at universal studios this is in there you can walk you can go into this town square on their studio tour and it's just a bunch of empty buildings but then they dress it up for whatever movie they're doing but they in this set they put you know there's um a texaco there's he's wearing his nike shoes there's pepsi this burger king jc penny the mall jc penny calvin klein jvc the videotape recorder uh, I, there's so many the delorean obviously the most famous one there's so many great product placements in this movie but i like product product place, placement in movies because it makes you feel like it's a real world that you're familiar with you know everyone uses some name brand products of some kind in their lives everyone goes to certain famous stores that are known around the world on a daily basis and so when you see those in a movie that makes it feel like it's more relatable i think and it feels like it's more of a real setting as opposed to just a movie set that was built just for the movie no i agree i agree 100 percent. yeah product placement it is to get money and funds for the film could they have made this movie without product placement absolutely they could have but it does add to the re- relatability the realistic quality and also it's kind of like a time machine yeah and it's a pop culture f- movie you know that's what it's about the music music is a form of pop culture you can also mm-hmm. say that product placement is a form of pop culture it's the same thing yeah basically yeah. the same thing you and you're but instead of paying for the rights you're getting paid for this but there's a ton of in this movie i have a list so we have jvc the electronics brand texaco pepsi budweiser miller scott towels raid insecticide pledge watch Pledge Wash, Kellogg's Cocoa Krispies, Maxwell House Coffee, Wonder Bread, McCormick Pepper, French's Instant Potatoes and French's Mustard, Scott Bathroom Tissue, The Game of Life, the board game made by Milton Bradley, Cal Can Dog Can Dog Food, and Milk Bone Dog Biscuits, as well as Mounds and Almond Joy. I'm sure there's way more Anthony Brown, J.C. Penny, and stuff yeah. like that. And the DeLorean. And the DeLorean, obviously. Yeah. Well, the DeLorean was actually picked specifically because uh, Bob Gale and Zemeckis thought that if you were going to have a car that looks like a time, like a spaceship for people in 1955, it looks like a UFO to them. So that's why they chose the DeLorean because it would look like a flying ship, especially those Gulf Wing doors. I mean, the Gulf Wing doors that go up. And actually, the Ford Motor Company offered $75,000 for them to use a Ford Mustang. And Gail responded, Doc Brown doesn't drive an effing Mustang. <laughs> hey, he knows his character. So that's why the that DeLorean. Feel right. Yeah, that's yeah. why the DeLorean was selected because for people in 1955, it could look like a spaceship. And the DeLorean company, they actually, after this movie, they started, they developed uh, a 3D, a mold of this DeLorean so that when people who bought DeLoreans they could have the option of actually making it look like a time machine from this movie oh that's so cool so that's why you'll see them I, you see them I've seen a handful in my life of like the actual accurate to the movie DeLorean driving on the freeway or down the street and it's, it's an absolute cool. blast yeah, it's, it's, such, it's such a cool concept and it's just so iconic and like if you go to the, the studio tours you get to see it in person because they had a couple replicas and everything like that it could that. be the best car in history for it's movies it's up there it's it all be. time 
It, it could is, be number one. It's a great one. I still think, like, for me, I think it's probably the Batmobile. And the Batman is awesome. Which Batmobile? Uh, the Batman is might be my new favorites, but I do love the Tumblr. I think I might like the DeLorean better than both of them. DeLorean's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. it is a time machine, and we love time travel. Yeah. And the plot of this movie, it's so great and interesting. So, obviously, the plot is uh, Marty McFly is friends with this crazy scientist in his hometown. And... <laughs> Doc, the scientist, creates a time machine. Murray's supposed to help him with the video camera and film this experiment because Doc's going to go to the future, 25 years. Um, and then he tells Murray that he actually ripped off these Libyans for the plutonium in order to power it because they wanted Doc to make a bomb. Uh, there's that big shootout. They come and they supposedly kill Doc. And then Marty, trying to escape, takes the DeLorean, accidentally goes back to 1955 where he's in his past, and he accidentally replaces his father in the timeline of how him and his mother met, and he runs into, he finds Doc in the past, and he gets to work with him, and Marty has to spend an entire week making sure that his mother and father meet and fall in love and kiss because they met when his father was run over by his her grandfather when he was peeping, which is pretty messed up. This movie, <laughs> some things don't age well at all. Not that that was ever okay. And then so Marty has to re make sure that they meet so that he is born and exists in the future, as well as Doc and him have to figure out how to power the DeLorean without the 1.21 gigawatts, which is said gigawatts incorrectly in the past in this film, for the DeLorean to able be able to act as a time machine to power the flux capacitor. Fortunately, the clock tower was struck at the specific time, the specific date, which they know of in the future. So they have to line up the DeLorean at the same time when lightning strikes that clock tower to send Marty McFly back to the future, as well as Marty trying to save Doc in the future as well. And that's the plot. Not bad. It's not. That's not pretty bad. good synopsis off the top of my head. Just, not, ba just not bad for a minute and a half. Yeah. I think the podcast is over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, so it's great. <laughs> it's so interesting. But inside of there, like we said earlier, there's so many little conflicts and great d scenes and interactions. Whether it's the family scenes are so fun, but also the the suspense building, the the enchanted sea dance is such a great sequence as well. But I, I just love this movie and the the plot. I think is just such a great idea. Aside from like the mother stuff is a little weird. <laughs> There's also so much exposition, especially in the first act of the film, but it's done pretty seamlessly, and you never feel like you're being explained by t by the characters too many things, and it just feels like you're along for the ride, and none of it's confusing. And also, they did a great job of lining up the points of like why it's, it's like you got to figure out why what date would Marty go back to, and uh, they picked that date in the way they wrote it in the script was Doc just reminiscing just put the date in the computer because that's the day he got the idea. And so that's... The flux capacitor, yeah, yeah. And that's why the script calls for Marty to go to that date. And it's just, it's just a brilliant, simple way to go from point A to point B that a lot of writers might have trouble getting to believably. Yeah, and it's the same but, week that his parents met. The exactly. same day his parents were supposed yeah, to meet. Yeah, exactly. And also, there's a big plot hole regarding that. Uh, it's, I think it's been kind of like debunked now, but when for decades, people were always like, why didn't Lorraine and George remember... That weird guy, Marty McFly, Calvin Klein, who helped them meet and kiss and fall in love and got the, and they had a couple of crazy experiences with. And it's like, don't they recognize Marty and make when their own son isn't? Don't they, aren't they like, hey, that, he seems like he looks a lot like that guy during that week in school that we met. And it's like, I think that it's totally understandable that two character, two people would forget about a guy they spent a week with. 25 years ago and they didn't even spend a week with them marty's in the back in the past for eight days but george and lorraine both just spend you know in total a few hours with marty and a couple of days here and there over that time span 
And also, like, most people, you can't remember everyone you even went to school with. Even people you went to school with for years, you can't, you can hardly remember what they looked like back then. And you might be able to recognize someone if you meet them at like a reunion or something. But I think it's totally believable that Lorraine and George as uh, middle-aged adults wouldn't recognize their son as looking similar to the Marty Calvin Klein that they met in high school. For real. It's like, all right, we're 32, so let's go back in time. Do you remember when you were seven, that friend you had in first grade, Anthony, you sat to your right? Of course you don't. You spent an entire year with them, let alone a week with somebody here and there. So it's just... People are haters, man. Yeah. They, they got to attack stuff. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any subscribe. How do they not remember him? It's like, dude, it's been 25 freaking years. Yeah. How are they supposed to remember him? For real. They knew it, they, a few hours spent with him. So that's yeah. not— It's a, totally believable, It's a believable loophole for sure. It's not even a loophole. It's just like it is what it is. Uh, and also, at this, this movie has to have been the inspiration for Rick and Morty. 100%. It has to have been the inspiration because— both Doc and Marty are way too similar to Rick and Morty, and it's just the, the, the I mean, just the outfits and just uh, Rick's outfit with the white crazy hair and the the lab coat and and Morty being like a little bit nervous with like a cracky voice. It's got to be inspired by Back to the Future. One's a genius and one's a high school kid getting into adventures, and it's it's just like whenever I watch Rick and Morty, I'm like, this is so much like Back to the Future. It's it's amazing. It's so much fun. Yeah, and I love Doc and Marty's relationship. Do you know how they like met and why they're friends? I do not. So, Enlighten us. According to the filmmakers, he snuck into Doc's lab and was fascinated by all the cool stuff that was in there one day. When Doc found him in there, he was delighted to find that Marty thought he was cool and accepted him for what he was. Both of them were the black sheep in their respective environments. Doc gave Marty a part-time job to help with the experiments, tend to the lab, tend to the dog, etc. So they're friends because Marty, out of curiosity, just snuck in to see what was going on. And we kind of get that gist that he works from, obviously— in the first act of the film, when he's inside Doc's his lab, which is it's such a great opening scene because we don't have any human interaction. There's no characters on the on the shot for like three minutes. We're just going through Doc's great labs. Yeah. And it's just like all these things that he's invented, and that's why I love when he finds out in the past that his flux capacitor works. He's like, he's like, finally something I invented works, which is really <laughs> great. But I, I love the opening sequence. The automated so sequence of all the little, yeah, little gadgets. Yeah, all the clocks everywhere. But everything's off. But it's, also this great foreshadow of one of the clocks has um, a guy hanging from the clock. On the way. Which is a foreshadow of Doc hanging from the clock tower. It's actually a reference to the silent film um, from the 20s with the actor hanging from the clock tower. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what that clock is made from, referencing that scene. And it's a foreshadow of Doc at the end of the film. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, before we, I say before we go into intermission, there's just a controversy with this movie. Besides, like the mother stuff and the peeping Tom stuff, it's it's just odd and awkward. And obviously, a lot of these male characters in this, in this film are 
highly toxic dudes for mm-hmm. sure horrible stuff like it was pretty shocking what was okay to put in a movie back then mm-hmm. stuff like this is not okay to put in at all but there's also a controversy about the johnny be good sequence where martin mcfly supposedly is like it's the grandfather paradox of inventing rock and roll mm-hmm. but how can you yeah. invent rock and roll if you never heard johnny be good and how did he go back in time so it's the grandfather paradox with rock and roll now According to writer Vince Mancini, the song Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry is used during the film's final act. Berry initially resisted allowing the song to be used in the film. NPR argued that while this may have been a matter of money for Berry, there are underlying racial issues involved in Marty, a a Caucasian male, rewriting history to invent the rock and roll music genre, which was heavily influenced by African-American music styles. The 1955 segment also presents a distorted view of America showing an African-American band playing at the high school dance at a time when this would not have been allowed. Similarly, the African-American character Goldie Wilson is seemingly inspired to work towards becoming mayor of Marty's intervention mayor by Marty's intervention, inspiring a Reagan-style initiative in self-reliance. So I think the Chuck Berry stuff, obviously, I understand when people find that offensive because, like, it is the grandfather paradox for sure. But Mm. maybe if people don't understand what the grandfather paradox is, but still I understand why people get upset by Marty McFly, this Caucasian white dude going back in time and supposedly inventing rock and roll for Mm -hmm. other people to hear and and then create themselves. So I get that. Yeah. I, yeah, 100% understand and empathize with it. So you can definitely say this movie did not do a perfect job with the grandfather paradox jokes in the movie. It's a joke, and they, they it was made for laughs, but clearly it, it wasn't done perfectly. Yeah, not everything ages well. Yeah. This is freaking 40 years ago, you know I mean? It's yeah. a long time, So, mm-hmm. but you know, we are where we are today, and yeah. I think it's important to acknowledge stuff I'm like that. I'm glad you brought it up. Thanks, man. I am glad, too. Now, how about we head on into our intermission? Let's do it. Hey, fellas, how many of you have been on your way to a date and realized, I wish I had more time because I totally forgot to groom up for this date and who knows where it's going to lead to? If you had a time machine, you could go back in time and use your lawnmower 4.0 groomer that you got from manscaped.com to make sure you are ready to go. Go to the website manscaped.com, use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout to get 20% off and free shipping worldwide on this DeLorean of grooming needs, the lawnmower 4.0 groomer, which has a 7,000 RPM motor built-in light it's waterproof wireless charger you can use this thing in the shower it's amazing i also highly recommend getting their ultra premium collection which features a deodorant stick which is awesome we use it every day body wash two-in-one shampoo conditioner hydrating body spray and a free set of manscaped lip balm again if you're in a rush go back in time and use your lawnmower 4.0 groomer that you got from Manscaped.com using our coupon code Raiders of the Lost to get 20% off and free shipping worldwide. The best place to get your movie and TV show posters is at MoviePosters.com. Use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. MoviePosters.com has a gigantic selection of all sorts of sizes, framing, backlighting, as well as every movie and TV show imaginable in their arsenal. They have some of the best movie posters, including Back to the Future, your favorite Marvel and DC shows, Star Wars, as well as beloved classics, movies from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and even the silent era. Again, head on over to movieposters.com and use our special promo code to get 10% of your order today. Now, let's begin our intermission and start the movie quote competition. You ready, Anthony? I was born ready. All right, get ready. 
Gold jacket, green jacket, who gives a shit? Happy Gilmore. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that jacket belongs to Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> Shoot up. Here's my quote. There's enough bang in there to send us to all to Jesus. If I'm going to die, I want to die comfortable. Love this movie. I figured, the Hurt Locker. I figured you'd get it. Yeah, Hurt Locker. Guess this movie release year. Natural Born Killers. 1994. Bingo. Oh, yeah. Look at this guy. Same year as Pulp Fiction. Oh, yes. Pulp Fiction was 96, I thought. 94. 94? Yeah. Huh. Where are you been, man? <laughs> it's only a two-year difference. Yeah, but usually you're spot on with, with Tarantino years. I guess not. Yeah, not anymore. Uh, I'm, lo- I'm slipping. Slipping, man. Slipping. <laughs> <laughs> okay, SWAT. SWAT came out in 2006. Three. Oh, man. Is that old? It's that Holy old. Crap. Because what, what was Daredevil? Was that like 01, 02? I believe Daredevil was 06 or 04. Hmm. Daredevil, yeah. Came so. out after that, probably. Yeah. Man, 2003. 2003 Daredevil. Daredevil. Wow. Big year for Colin. Because I was just saying. And then then the recruit recruit was after that. Because he has a shaved head in Daredevil. So I was was like, is it around the same time? Yeah. So I remember SWAT, Daredevil, the recruit. Like, he blew up. Yeah. He was a a big star. Phone booth. He became a huge star in America. He had a big four years. Yeah. All right. Um, Ready? Here's a list. I'm ready. Name five real people portrayed in the film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Shit. <laughs> Hold on. Sharon Tate. One. Roman Polanski. Two. Um. What's his name? Charlie. Fucking what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> Holy God, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um Charles Manson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um shit. Bruce Lee. Four. Oh, this is Damn it. <laughs> Hold on. Let me rack my brain. <laughs> You're almost there, man. I'm so close. Um, Who the hell did Emil Hirsch play? What's his name? I can't remember. can't remember. Oh, Steve McQueen. There you go. Yes. Not Emil Hirsch, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Emil Hirsch played... Um, what's his name? Jay Sebring. That's it. Yeah. And then also, who else was real? There are a couple others. Not that many, actually. But there's a good amount. That, yeah. yeah, you yeah. got them all, man. You got oh, like you got five, so yeah. you're solid. Thanks. Whew. That was a good question. Thanks, man. Came with it myself. Steve McQueen almost. I almost lost it. Then I was like, oh, yes. I never had a chance. <laughs> <laughs> never had a He's chance. He's great, Steve McQueen. He looks he just looks like him. He looks just like him. It's crazy. Okay. With that haircut. What famous serial killer did Jeremy Renner play? Charlie Manson. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, I mean uh, no, 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 no. That's not my final answer. No, that's not my final okay, answer. Okay, only because there wasn't even a beat. So the th- I don't even know why I said that because Charles, Charles Manson didn't they kill anybody. You were so excited too. It's um, <laughs> what's the guy who ate people. Um, what's his name? That is the one. He ate people. Oh, crap. Pretty good movie that he's in. This. This is before he's a big star. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Very small movie. What's his name? The guy with the glasses, blonde hair. Yeah, you got all, you got all the description. The story's down. crazy because one of them where he was he had a victim and the victim escaped, but then like police, he convinced police that he was just his drunk friend and they let him take him back to his house, his apartment. What? Yeah, it was one of the one of the victims actually escaped temporarily. 
And he was with police? Because he had drugged him, but he's telling uh, police, like, oh, he's just really drunk. I have to take him. I'm like, all right, well, get him out of here. Oh, like, my God. That's crazy. Um, oh, Jeff, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. There we go. That's it. I needed to think more about it. He was it. stalling while he Googled no, it. No, I was... I was <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, actually, like, he got away. And <laughs> get out of here. No, you got it for fair and square. All right. Um, fair and square. Sometimes I just got to talk it out, man. <laughs> That's like so, half the time I'm just biding my time, but like that one I need to just savor, like what I'm talking. I think about. the more you talked about, it, described it. Yeah, it there's a you. couple great documentaries, and the the movie that Renner's in is actually pretty damn good. He's he's a terrific performance in it. Terrific actor. He's awesome. Um, all right, who we got for subscribe unsubscribed haters? We got some unsubscribes. What we got? There's some good ones. We have a hater. We I posted a clip this Let's morning of Avatar set photo. Um, well, actually, there's a bunch of hate on it because it's a set photo of Zoe Zaldana, Sam Worthington, uh, Kate Winslet, and Cliff um, uh, Cliff Curtis floating in the water. Mm, yeah, there's yeah. plastic bu- plastic balls all around them. Either it's for light or for wave pickup. We, we're not sure. I think it's it's probably lighting or something. But every, a lot of people in the comments are like, because Anthony said the three names of Kate Winslet. Zoe Zaldana, Sam Worthington, without saying Cliff Curtis. And everyone's like, what about Cliff Curtis? It's like, so he was recalling it from memory from seeing yeah, I, lo- I wasn't looking you at the photo. You saw it, like, what, a week ago? And- uh, no, I had saw the photo weeks before we filmed so just- I just remembered it. It was a, something they released, like, a, two months ago. And I was just off the top of my head, oh, you said something that reminded me of, of it. Of a set photo. And I just it's- forgot that Cliff Curtis was in the like, photo. Oh, how'd you forget Cliff Curtis? It's like, yeah. guys, we-, we weren't looking at it. Yeah. But also a bunch of people commented on that video, like, does anyone even care about this movie? Like, who cares? Yeah. No it's... offense. Who cares? Like, bro, it's a, it's a movie podcast. Someone wrote, it's not even going to make any money, is it? <laughs> this movie's going to make a ton. Dude, you guys are even, yeah. I this think is what people, everyone was yeah. saying the same stuff about Avatar 1. Yeah. But anyways, people, the Avatar has so much hate. They're just jealous because it's going to take over as, pop, as a very, it's going to be, I'm telling you, Avatar, it might have a chance to be like the next big thing after Marvel and DC, just the Avatar universe. They're gonna have a huge series of films. I think. We'll I think see. it's gonna be very popular. Well, we got four in a row coming out. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm, I love it all though. So the more the better. Um, okay. Here's some unsubscribes. They're good this week. Uh, Ill Eagle Art wrote just in a, a video I posted on TikTok. I hate twins. Unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Caleb Jeter, he got he, ca- he called me out. Caleb called you out? Yeah, because when you asked, uh, name the four actors in Four Brothers, that I, cr- I forgot Andre 3000 from Outcast was in it. And so he wrote, unsubscribe. It's okay, man. I'm giving you a hard time. I just love Outcast and I love Four Brothers. It's one of my favorite movies. Thanks, Thanks Caleb. 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 We love you. We got to keep him on his toes, Caleb. <laughs> he said, how do you forget the goat as the fourth brother? That's what I was saying. I'm like, how do you, I was you were, I'm like, how do you not get this? Mm-hmm. And then in our Doctor Strange episode, we kept calling Earth 883. But it's, eight, it's Walter Blue said it's eight three eight, not yeah. eight eight three. Unsubscribed. <laughs> I kept getting mixed up with the with the numbers a few times. We yeah. said we said it six one six. I also because I edited. I remember we said like six six one eight three eight 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 three. Yeah, I only saw I only yeah. saw it once. You're our best you know? guys. Yeah. You know when you when you're talking for two hours, mistakes happen. But that's why I love I love our unsubscribers because they understand. And our Godfather Patreon shout out for today is a group of pals. We got Adam Boone. Logan and Peter, what's up, guys? Thank you for becoming Godfather Page. So, my God, on this day of our daughter's the wedding, day of our daughter's wedding, he became Godfather, and it was very smart of them because they did it as a package. This is the deal. trio, yeah. That's a, it's a four. Oh, quad. What do you a quad? Sorry, a quad, and the four Musketeers. But they also, 
They also did it on the uh, morning announcements at their school. They uh, recommended our show. That was them? Yeah. Oh, that video was yeah. so cool. Yeah, it was, su- it was super nice of you guys. And we appreciate you joining our Patreon, especially the Godfather tier. Uh, and their choice for a personal review is a spotlight on actor Ben Stiller. I love Ben Stiller. Excellent great, choice. Great Excellent choice. choice. Great, great director. Great actor and director. Yeah, he does it all. He's a really awesome guy. Yeah, but- we, yeah we love him. The boys, thank the you boys. so much for the boys, Thanks, fellas. And yeah, if anyone wants to do the same, they they announced us on their announcements at school, which is so funny. They sent us a video we posted yeah. in our story. Yeah, it yeah. was a blast. So thank you again, guys. You are the best for the boys. The boys. All right, we also have a great five star review from Alex P. Doctor Strange Death, my number one podcast. After coming across these guys over and over on TikTok during the first lockdown, I finally started listening to their episodes in fall 2020. For the past two years, this has been my daily number one podcast. Wow, an OG listener. Thanks, Alex. As these guys have gotten more and more popular, I've loved the the rewards of them putting out more and more content. This podcast stoked the flame of my love for movies and have led me to follow several movie podcasts. But this one reigns supreme. The analysis, the banter, the subject matter, it's all on point. They're also the only reason I have a Patreon account. You're also a patron, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Keep up the good work or I'll have to unsubscribe. <laughs> You're the best, Alex. Thank you so much. Wow. An awesome review. OG. Yeah, we it's all twenty we started in June, so he's been around for a while listening. We're hitting we're coming up on our two year anniversary. We're gonna have to do something special for it. Thanks. It's been a minute. June eighth is our first episode. So we'll have to yeah, when we get back to a do a big, I think the eighth. Something like the eighth. Or yeah. second week in June, actually. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. We only post like two episodes, two in June. Yeah. So we'll do a, we'll do a two-year anniversary then. Absolutely. Now, on this day in film history, today is May 19th. Lots of stuff happened today. In 1977, the film Smokey and the Bandit premiered in New York City. 1982, Sophia Loren is jailed in Naples, Italy for tax evasion. In 1989, Do the Right Thing premieres at Cannes Film Festival. In 1995, Braveheart and Die Hard with a Vengeance are released. In 1999, Star Wars Episode I, The Phantom Menace, is released. In 2000, The Virgin Suicides is released. In 2004, Shrek 2 is released. In 2005, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith is released. In 2006, The Da Vinci Code is released. In 2007, the Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End is released. Yeah, you just checked his watch. <laughs> We're in May, man. These are big release dates. In 2017... Alien Covenant is released, <laughs> and happy birthday to Nora Ephron, Peter Mayhew, and the late Andre the Giant. What is it with rich people not paying taxes? <laughs> Do they not have it's enough? It's like when you, I think, it's, they, is it not enough? I think a lot of people, when they get more of something, they want to hold keep, on. And they, also, they keep spending money, and true. so then they can't pay, afford their taxes. Also, yeah, I mean, if you had, I, I'm sure a lot of people fall into the habit of when you're when you're a multimillionaire and you your, want to spending live that, habits yeah, are insane. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, I gotta pay taxes oh. this year. Oh, I gotta pay like four hundred thousand in taxes. I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> um, my streaming recommendation today is a film on Netflix. It is U.S. Marshals. Oh, good one! Great movie. I love that movie. Awesome action adventure. Great action adventure. <laughs> it is the sequel to The Fugitive. Well, yeah, with the same characters. Yeah, yeah. Next for my streaming recommendation, I have The Fifth Element, which was just added onto Amazon Prime. You know James and I love this one. It's an awesome movie. So much fun. Hilarious. Awesome sci-fi. If you haven't seen it, get on that ASAP. Let's get back into our episode. I have, a, I have an interesting question to pose about this movie. Because the grandfather paradox, what would have happened if Marty failed? All right. So, so let's explain the grandfather yeah. paradox first. So mm-hmm. The grandfather paradox is, let's say I, for some reason, want to go back in time. 
and kill my grandfather. How can I do that if I went back in time and killed How him? How can you no, kill your grandfather? So, so I go back in time, kill my grandfather. How can I do that? If he was killed by me, if he died, how was he able, yeah. even able to have me? How am I even existing? How do I exist? Yeah. So, and then for this movie, so if Marty did fail, then I wonder would the entire timeline of him going in the past, would that just not exist anymore? Because then the other characters wouldn't have interacted with him for not existing. So then the entire eight days in 1955 of him being there would just cease to ever have happened if he never existed. So and his family wouldn't, his, his siblings wouldn't have existed. He yeah. wouldn't have existed. The space time continuum. He never would have gone back in time. The space time continuum probably would have been destroyed too because whether or not that's accurate, because this is a science fiction movie, they're, Doc's always like, we have to preserve the space time continuum. We have to, we have to like put it back together. So I think that's on this table too. So now the space time continuum, that is another term in this film. Einstein's theory of special relativity. Relativity created a fundamental link between space and time. The universe can be viewed as having three space dimensions, up and down, left and right, forward and backward, and one time dimension. This four-dimensional space is referred to as the space-time continuum. It's quite hard to break it when it doesn't really work in the way that science fiction films teach us. It's not really a fabric that can be ripped or torn, though it does get stretched and warped by objects of different masses. The more mass an object has, the more it bends space-time, which is what causes what creates gravity and so the space time continuum whether they were going to break it or not but that's a common theme in the back to the future movies doc's always like we have to we have to fix the preserve the space time continuum <laughs> so would that have broken would existence be in, a, in would like the multiverse start to break if there was a multiverse i don't know but w- if they failed their mission would doc have been able to even finish the the what do you have Wanted to finish the flux capacitor because the grandfather paradox with him, where he now he knows that the flux capacitor, knowing is that it works, to, is what it's going to work going. in the future. That he succeeds at making the time machine in the flux capacitor. Would he have given up if yeah. he didn't? If Marty didn't go back in time? And also, you can ask: Was Marty? You could say: Was Marty always supposed to go back in time? Because we learned that from him going back in time that we see. The f- it changes the future in good ways where his parents become more happy. His father becomes a confident guy. Biff becomes a loser. Um, <laughs> thing, things work out. Things do change from the first act of the film. However, you could say that Marty maybe always went back in time even because maybe he was always involved in his parents getting together. and It was just a slight change this time around because – Maybe I – mean, can you say that his parents would have gotten together if Marty never went back in time? They would have. <laughs> That's the thing. You, it could be – he could have always gone back in time, but well, it just worked it, out differently you're, this time. Well, you're arguing is it a giant loop that constantly yeah, exactly. reoccurs. So That's what yeah. that show Dark is about, yeah. which is really interesting. But for the film, I wouldn't say it's a loop like that because his parents met when his father fell down from that tree and, his, and, her, yeah. and Lorraine's grandfather – yeah, Lorraine's yeah. grandfather almost hit him with the car. However – Marty accidentally replaces his father in that timeline sequence, and that's why he has to try to make sure that they meet up because that's when Lorraine starts to fall in love with Marty because he he replaced his father in multiple situations of the timeline where his father George originally was. So I think the film, it's not a loop. It's just this is the first time he's gone back in time, but again, it's still a paradox. But then also, like, skateboards exist because he went back in— Helped create skateboards. John be good. Rock and roll music exists. Grandfather paradox. Back. So you could say that he always, what he even when we start the movie, he already went back in time to change these events in this certain way, and it would just went differently that time, and then in real time for this 
loop that we're seeing, it changed a little bit. So maybe it changed differently. So maybe he the thing that he did differently was he really influenced his father to start standing to up for himself, yeah. to to not be bullied, to have some more confidence, and also to not be afraid to fail. Because this movie does have great thematic elements, and one of the most important ones in this film is. You know, Marty thinks his father is such a loser. He thinks because George is a bit of a loser. You know, he's a dad, but he's, he's he's kind of very. He's still very dorky. He still lets Biff bully him around, even though they work at the same company. And Biff gets all the success for all the work that George does. And Marty finds out. Marty, at the same time, he's afraid to fail. Like he's afraid to perform in front of people, or he's afraid to send his mixtape in to studios because he's afraid of people not accepting. He's afraid of rejection. He's afraid of rejection, just like his father was. He's afraid of failure. But then when he goes back in time, his and he learns that his father like likes to write science fiction stories. He's like, I had no idea you used to do this. What? He's like, how do you, would you know? You don't even know me. And he's like, you should show people these. And his father's like, oh, no, I would never. I never show people them. I'm too afraid that they think they're stupid. And then Marty's like, wow, I'm a lot more like my father than I thought I was, even though I'm a little cooler. You know, I play guitar. I stand up for myself and I skateboard and stuff like that. He is the inspiration for George to start sticking up for himself and to not be afraid of failure. And at the same time, Marty loses his fail fear of failure as well. And I and I also argue that so when Doc gets shot by gets shot by the Libyans in the first act, we think he's dead. Yeah. And then when we go through the loop again and we come back in time, we learn that he was wearing a bulletproof vest. Because you mean when you go back to the future? When we go back to the future, he was wearing a bulletproof vest because of the note that Marty left him. I are, I would say, I think when I look at the movie, that first time Doc gets shot, he's wearing the bulletproof vest already. And so, and so by that rationale, everything in that we see in the first act, the original version of all these things, it was, I think, already influenced by Marty in the past, and then we get a, a reimagining of things as things change the next time he goes into the past. So every time he goes into the past, things change. Altered. So I, because I argue that everything we see in the first act, before he goes back in time, it was already influenced by him going back in time. And then it gets even more complicated yeah. when they go to the future. Exactly. Next. In, in part two. So that's how I look at the movie. I mean, it's interesting to think of like yeah. that, that it's a giant loop and just changes slightly because yeah. that's that show Dark on Netflix, the German show. It's mm-hmm. it's about like time and are we stuck inside this giant loop? So is Marty and everyone else stuck in a loop of time? It's totally plausible and I can totally see maybe that like, argument for yeah, sure. Maybe like, you know that movie Source Code? Similar. Mm-hmm. similar. Well, it's a simulation, but it has the idea where maybe the flux capacitor's creation caused just a disruption in the time continuum, and then everyone, we're just on this loop of like this 30 year loop. You could also argue that he's not even going in back in time or forwards in time, it's just a different dimension. You could argue mm-hmm. that. Although in the opening, when Einstein goes back in time, he comes, he back, comes back, it's the same yeah. dog, you could argue for yeah. sure. I, don't or maybe think, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say dog. it's a multiverse. I wouldn't say that. It's possible. There's, it's no, possible. there's no dispute against yeah. it, you know? But I think the way the movie sets it up is when Doc gets shot the first time, we think, he, I think they imply that he's dead. Well, it's interesting because when he does get shot the first time, there's no blood spraying out. And yeah. obviously, this movie's what? PG 13. PG. No, it's PG. PG, okay. So, so they can't show And it was blood. 1985 as yeah. well, so I, I don't think they were showing blood really for a pg film so that may be why there's no blood spraying out of him but you can even see like is, is there like a bulletproof vest under them yeah when those original bullet holes yeah. there's black underneath yeah exactly so i think that marty already influenced the entire first act before he goes back in time so he just see. goes back all all the time and yeah. just it's just it's a continuous loop that never ends which is interesting that's it's interesting with uh time travel yeah now this film also has great pop culture uh so huey lewis in the news i mean huey lewis did a bunch of the music for the film and so he ended up making The Power of Love, and he also 
was told they needed he asked for one more song and he got inspiration for the song back in time which he made as well and that opens the movie and he got the, the credits yeah he got the insp- he got the oscar nomination for the power of love What's crazy about this movie is that the, res- the script was rejected 44 times before it was finally greenlit. A movie that is so loved and revered, and it got rejected 44 times. That's, that's insane. Yeah, and by multiple studios multiple times because Zemeckis was trying, and Gale were trying to pitch this for so long, and Spielberg was the only one who saw the potential here and was like convincing him not to give up on it. And also Zemeckis didn't want to get under the the guise of like being Spielberg's like guy like always having to work with Spielberg he wanted to be you know universally respected by everybody and so he actually even made a movie while they were still trying to pitch the idea because it get, kept getting denied so he ended up making a movie in 1984 that came up before they even went got approved and got the budget and production for Back to the Future to go into yeah, filming I mean big movies like this they take if they can take years to get funding whereas a small movie it's a fraction of the cost, so it's easier to get greenlit. And not only did it make a ton of money at the box office, like we explained, but it was also a huge hit for VHS. So now when Back to the Future was released on VHS in May 22, 1986, it was priced at $80. It was the first film to sell 450,000 units at that price point and was also the most rented cassette of the year. What? That's, yeah. $80 <laughs> back no, then? Yeah, big time. So, I mean, every new, technology. new technology. I mean, yeah. remember when Blu-ray came out? It was super yeah. expensive. Remember, remember DVD players came out? Those computers. were like several hundred dollars yeah, as computers. well. Yeah, the, the original Mac, that was, those were several thousand yeah. dollars. Um, a sequel to Back to the Future was not planned until after Back to the Future's theatrical release, and a to-be-continued graphic was added to the end of the film on VHS to promote um, awareness of future sequels, even though it ends with them going to the future. Mm. Uh, when the film was released on DVD in 2002, the graphic was removed because Galen Zemeckis wanted it to be experienced, be as experienced in theaters it has not appeared in releases since. And there's a great couple of Ronald Reagan jokes in this um, because when he's trying to convince someone that he is from the future, he says that he tells Doc that Ronald Reagan's president, and Doc is like the actor. <laughs> it's also he's, there's a movie, a Ronald Reagan yeah, movie, uh, yeah, playing at the theater. And Ronald Reagan actually his staff, his, his staff contacted the filmmakers saying that they weren't happy with it, but when it got to Ronald Reagan, he actually liked the joke and loved it. And he even quoted Back to the Future in uh, one of his State of the Union addresses. Yeah, because this is the same thing with Top Gun. You know, the government has to get involved when you're doing stuff like this. And so the producers sent the script to the White House, and they were concerned. And even like Andy said, the White House was concerned. But Reagan thought it was hilarious and put it in the State of the Union. That's like the staff was probably like, this is no good, without even asking the president. But I mean, Ronald Reagan, he was an actor, so he understands. great. Yeah, he understands. It's super funny. But yeah, there's a couple references. And yeah, one of his movies is playing at the cinema in the town. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's a funny joke. The first act of this movie, it's hysterical. It's really funny. Especially if you've seen it before. Yeah, and it's laugh out loud, loud like his mom's like just an alcoholic who didn't hurt his dad's George is just like a loser who like is laughing at the stupidest jokes on TV and, and his it's 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 but it's it's done really well. It's very subtle and it's all performance based. And the, every joke lands. Yeah. Every but, joke lands. And just the great characters yeah. in characterization, even the situations like with Jennifer's girlfriend, she's an interesting character. And actually, Claudia Wells, who played Jennifer in this film, was recast in part two and part three. And she didn't return for the two sequels because of family issues. Her mother got very sick. I uh-huh. believe she had lymphoma. So she ended up not continuing to work on the films. Oh, that's too bad. So that's why she was released. That's re- too bad. I mean, um, replaced in the film. You know who's in this movie is Billy Zane. Yeah. Is he one of he's the one of, He's one of... Uh, 
uh, Biff's friends. Yeah. He's in the car when they're chasing Marty on the on a skateboard. <laughs> it's crazy. And then um, what, what I do really love about the the guitar performance at the end is Michael J. Fox mimicked <clears throat> a bunch of famous rock stars while he played in that scene. And so, for example, the kicking of the speakers is a trademark of the Who. Uh, the full circle guitar strumming is a trademark of Pete Townsend of The Who, and also Bruce Springsteen likes to do that. Um, playing guitar while lying down, that's something that Angus Young from ACDC likes to do. And hopping across the stage with one leg is something that Chuck Berry and Young like to do. And then the solo, he copied like the way Jimi Hendrix or Edward Van Halen would do a solo. So there's, there's a lot of trademarks of famous musicians and guitarists in that performance, which is really fun to see. And Tom Wilson, he plays Biff, and Biff is a great, just classic bully in cinema history. And uh, Tom Wilson, re, uh, he p- appears in the character in all three films, and he gets obviously stopped by people all the time in public. And he actually he has this card that he walks, cards he walks around with, and he just hands to people because he gets asked so many times the same questions about mm. being in Back to the Future, and he'll just hand people these cards. And this card says, "I'm Tom Wilson. I was in all Back to the Future movies. Michael J. Fox is nice. I'm not in close contact with him. Christopher Lloyd is nice. He is a very shy man. Crispin Glover is unusual, but not as unusual as he sometimes." presents himself we got along nicely leah thompson is nice eric stoltz originally played marty but was fired due to performance issues the first movie was shot in 1984 and 1985 the sequels were shot back to back never before attempted by a movie studio the hoverboards didn't really fly we were hanging by wires from a crane the manure was made of peat moss cork dirt and a food agent that made it sticky the delorean was an inferior automobile and nearly impossible for a person of normal size like myself to enter and exit there are many tiny plot points hidden in the movies but i don't know what they are among many improvisations on set i coined the term butthead as well as make like a tree and get out of here the third movie was my favorite since i got to learn western skills like riding roping quick draw and shooting a six shooter a great adventure for a guy from philadelphia I hold my coworkers in the best light, but have no idea what any of them are doing right now. <laughs> Steven Spielberg was the executive producer of the movie, but Robert Zemeckis directed it. Nobody has had any idea that the movies would become a cultural touchstone, but the themes of friendship and adventure moved the audience so powerfully that I felt the need to create this postcard as a time saver. It was the first movie I acted in, if you don't count being killed in the kung fu movie Ninja Turf. Love is more important than material possessions. I made less money than you think. I don't talk about the movies much but much. Because I'm busy with stand-up comedy and music performances. Those performances aren't near the magnitude of the movies, but I find them enjoyable and satisfying. So that's the area of my concentration. I've performed on The Tonight Show with both Johnny Carson and Jay Leno. And yeah, he says, God bless you. Contact him with his website. So Sounds like a nice guy. That's pretty fun. And I'm sure he loved the experience and everything. But um, we get asked. It's, I'm sure we feel the same thing because we get all the twin questions. Yeah. The same ones over and over again. We might as well make a card. We two should make a card. Yeah. People because I get what he's coming from in terms of getting asked the same questions probably every day of your life. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine, especially for a film of that magnitude so, in, the, in the 80s and 90s. So that's pretty clever. Pretty clever. I also, I also love in the first act the Delorean reveal is epic oh, yeah. in this film. The you know smoke. when Marty has the camera, the JVC cameras in the parking lot at the Twin Pines Mall, and Doc has that truck, and the ramp comes down, and there's smoke inside. And he just backs it up out of the car, out of the truck. It's just awesome, and it was it's it looks like a spaceship. Even you looking at it, it looks so cool. Yeah, you know, and I love when he crashes into the barn in the past, and they do think it's a UFO, and the kid has the little magazine, and it looks. 
similar to the UFO drawn in the comic book. It's so much fun. And I love the visual effects yeah. for when the DeLorean travels through time. It just kind of fades away like a ghost in a way. And the lightning beam. Yeah, yeah. the lightning. And uh, then, but the, the iconic thing is the, the, the flames on the road. It's so legendary. Yeah, like it's the such tread a great, marks on fire. It's so genius. What a great, simple concept. You can do it practically. It's digitally when the actors are standing there, and then they stand over it, but it still looks fantastic. Yeah, there's just a handful of really important visual effects shots that they had to land, specifically mm -hmm. when the DeLorean travels through time, the ending shot when it flies and travels to the future. Then also the most important one's probably the lightning, lightning strike. Yeah. And then also uh, Marty disappearing in the photos and as well as disappearing while he's playing guitar on stage yeah. and so all the visual effects were done by industrial light and magic obviously because spielberg's got Ops. the hookup uh ralston was disappointed but the visual effects supervisor was disappointed by the scene where marty's hand fades away as his future was altered fox was filmed separately from his hand and the two were composited together the hand was filmed with wide angle lens making it appear too large and it had to be scaled down zemeckis wanted a subtle fade in the situation but it resulted in a small circle of the hand fading away and there was no time to fix it in the same scene marty and his siblings fade away from the photo ilm found it difficult to fade the photo's individual aspects especially as it was moving on the neck of a guitar a replica guitar was constructed at four times the normal size of a guitar the guitar strings were made of cable up to a quarter inch thick. An 11 by 14 inch aluminum plate was attached to hold the enlarged photograph. The ILM used a version of the photo without Marty or his siblings and individually pasted each character into the photo. When this failed, four different photos were used, one containing the background and one for each McFly sibling. A mechanical camera cycled through each photo and printed it to the film. The enlarged guitar was moved around to add the realism. It's amazing how complicated it was back then, and now they could do it no problem. It's just little it's simple amazing. things like yeah. enlarging it to make it easier. It's the same thing yeah. with like Lord of the Rings where it's the giant, it's like an enormous ring that falls on the ground and is magnetized to give mm -hmm. it the effect of something enormous and powerful and heavy. I think the hand still looks good. I think it looks it good. It looks fine, yeah. especially when you watch Watching it says like the visual yeah. effects are solid in this movie. Yeah, hundred percent. They still hold up pretty solid. Oh yeah, for sure. I I I think my favorite gag is has got to be um when Marty comes back to Doc's lab and he has constructed like a, a huge replica of the town and he's like, sorry for the crudeness of this replica. I didn't have much time. <laughs> I didn't have time to paint it. It's like it looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but the the jokes are great. The visual effects are really fantastic. It's got it just has so much charm from the beginning when you see all the gadgets and but the the comedy works so well because the gadgets are clearly intricately planned out and they're supposed to perform these tasks correctly. But we Doc's not there. We're learning slowly to adjust things and to take move things away, and that's why everything is going wrong. And we see the the bowl of dog food keeps overfilling, and he's spilling that's spilling things because. Obviously, someone's supposed to be there to reset these things and put new things in there. And it j just from the moment this movie starts, you can tell it's just made with a lot of love, made with a lot of great filmmaking techniques. And it's just hysterical, charming, so much fun, laugh out loud, funny. And an excellent adventure. And it's there's a lot of detail in this movie in the yeah. script as well. And I love the uh, 1.21 gigawatts because it's the only way to to power the flux capacitors to get that. Yeah, and obviously, yeah. in 1955, you, you can't generate that without a bolt of lightning, obviously. But uh, Doc Brown refers to gigawatts of electricity. This is the now obscure but once standard pronunciation of the word gigawatt, which is one billion watts. Nowadays, it is usually pronounced with a hard G, with a, which is a guh. 
G is like, and then a soft G is like giraffe. In Romance languages, however, it is pronounced with a soft G. That's correct. Fun fact. Yeah. And also, I love how Doc's like, I'm sure in 1985 you can get plutonium in any cafe, at any drugstore. <laughs> we can't get that here. <laughs> That's so funny. It's just fun. Yeah. There's so much intrigue in this film. Like you said, so much detail in the script and the, the terminology and just the fun inventions like the flux capacitor. Obviously is not real it does not exist it is fictitious but it's so fun and it looks I, cool I, it does look you don't really need cool. to explain it there's no need to say how it works yeah just, all you need to show is show it and say it works but and that's the, all you need the, but the terminology makes yeah. sense because a flux capacitor is a, a fun sci-fi technomobile made up of two pieces of genuine scientific terminology in physics flux is the amount of something like electricity that's passing through a given object's surface and a capacitor is a device that stores electronic charge some clever engineers nodding to the film have built contra- contraptions they called flux capacitor ca- capacitors though these real life fabrications have yet to achieve time travel one of my favorite facts about this movie is so at the end when the cable gets disconnected and Doc's trying to figure out a way to get down to the street level within a matter of seconds and to reconnect uh, the wires to make sure Matt, Marty can go back in time when the lightning strikes. And what he does is he takes uh, the cable and he, he streams down it, down from the clock tower, and he's, he, he's, he rides it down to the street level. So that's obviously a stuntman doing that act. But that shot happens in every movie, and it's the same shot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's all, all yeah. the whole trilogy. And so that stunt actor, he got paid for three movies' work, even though he only filmed it once for the first film. They yeah, just repeated the shot. That's the only scene that appears in all three Back to the Future films. Yeah. I thought it was just so funny. It's like, why shoot it again? There's no need. Exactly. No need to shoot it again. <laughs> we have it. We got it. No need to change it. We'll just use it again. I love that. Yeah, and we all know how it ends. You know, he gets his parents to meet and fall in love because even though— he his mom's like obsessed with him when they kiss which is awkward she's like it's like kissing my brother and then his father george finally stands up to biff and knocks him out he becomes a legend and then he kisses her at the dance when he's playing when marty's playing guitar for the the guitarist who's hurt his hand so it's it's just they they figure it out they get it going and he, he gets his parents to meet and kiss and then he's back inside the photo and he's able to go back to the future so this time there's a couple of great little storylines that are going on simultaneously and it's really effective and it's yeah. an excellent way to tell us tell a film and, a and it has an awesome ending the final scenes are great when Biff's like washing George's car and Jar- George is like don't rip me off now <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm waxing for the second time the second coat <laughs> and it's just the, the family everything seems good like the brother's not wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt he's wearing a suit he's like I always wear a to work <laughs> it's just great and then the the sister she can't get a boyfriend in the first act but now she's got too many guys calling her she can't even keep track of them yeah it's so funny obviously there's the pros and cons to like is it too materialistic like yeah. are, do you only find happiness when you're successful and wealthy obviously well it's not just that but they're you can tell like they're happier the family yes yeah, so- it's because like george is a he's just more confident feels better about who he is and is is not afraid of everything yeah. now. No, I get it. Because and that makes Lorraine happy. Yeah, but the trilogy, it's always about like... Uh, yeah, the sports you, almanac you, in the you, second yeah, one. if you become successful, you yeah. become happy, which is obviously... It's just a movie. Let's not take it too seriously. It's, it's time travel. So let's... let's I look at it more as the family's happy yeah. together. Because regardless. they found... They, they yeah. found Like, George is following his passion and yeah. everything like that. And the yeah. family's just a little, a little more happy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But aside from that, I think that's everything that I want to talk about in this film. Well, actually, it ends great because Marty gets this truck, which is so cool. He's like that four wheeler's boss. Or he's heavy. He's heavy. It's heavy. Why is everything in the future so heavy? Yeah, there's that word again. <laughs> is there a, is there a problem gravitational pull? Is there, is there a problem with gravity in the future? <laughs> great joke. Might be the best joke in the movie. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and then Jennifer and him are finally reunited. And but then I love how Doc picks him up. He's like, we got to go to the future. Your kids, there's going to be a problem with them. It's your kids this Where time. we're going, we will need Rose. Yeah, great <laughs> ending. Because you want Marty to be able to enjoy his new life, but it's like, all right, let's go. Let's go to the yeah. future. Yeah, it's great. And it's so, so much fun. Obviously, we'll cover the other films as well. Maybe we'll do like a trilogy episode and compare mm-hmm. them all. But yeah. I love the the first one the most. I think it's just such a great movie. One of the best all time. It's, it's one of the best in American cinema history. It's just so entertaining. Such a thrill thrill ride. It's a blast. Love it to death. Blast I've seen it, past. seen it so many times. And it's just a classic. Going back in time. If only I had more time. I do. All right. Um, you got anything else? That's all, folks. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, to this episode of Back to the Future. Thanks so much for listening and watching around the world. Take care. Goodbye, y'all. This episode of Raiders of the Lost podcast has been executive produced through Patreon thanks to Cody Moen, Calvin Cam, John A. Gratz, and Lawrence Smertz. Thank you to our producers.